For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guide for straight talk and honest answers about living the life you deserve in retirement. So So prepare prepare to to be be empowered. Now, here are your show me the money hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. On today's show, we're going to be talking about Chairman Powell. Will the interest rate cut happen or will it not? We'll find out. Also, how much do you need to have saved in order to retire? In addition to that, we'll talk about six social security myths and we'll try to debunk those for you. And then finally, do you have a strategy for where you need to get to in retirement? My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Jake, how you doing this morning? You know, Jeff, I'm feeling great today. I appreciate you asking me. Yeah, thank you so much. I hope everybody else is doing well today, too. Month of February is upon us, and of course, spring is just around the corner, and I can hardly wait for that. Well, I know a lot of people are interested. I know that Fed Chair Powell was on 60 Minutes this past week. I didn't have a chance to see the show yet. I'm going to look at that on sort of a rerun online. But I understand that he says the time is coming to cut the interest rates, but not quite yet. Can you comment on what he told everybody? Yeah, Jeff. So I think, you know, he really more or less echoed his comments of the the meeting the previous week which was simply that, you know, yes, we're going to cut rates. Yes, all the FOMC participants believe that we should cut rates. It's really more a question of when, and we're not sure that it's going to be in March. Now, I've been talking with clients a lot about the fact that I think that that's probably true, meaning we were pretty sure he wasn't going to do anything in January, but I think March might be a little early to cut rates, especially now that jobs are kind of taking off again, wages are taking off again. You know, interest rates on mortgages went back up above seven, the 10-year treasury back up above four. And so I just don't think it's going to happen quite as quickly as the market is expecting right now. And that could come with some uh, volatility. And to quote Chair Powell, what I'm reading here, he says, there is no easy, simple, obvious path to this. We have to balance the risk of moving too soon or too late. And there are two different risks. We think the economy's in a good place. We think inflation is coming down. We just want to gain a little more confidence that's coming down to a sustainable way towards our 2% goal. So if he's not cutting interest rates, and some economists are saying that it won't be until May or June before interest rates cut. And as you said, housing interest rates are over 7%. I mean, why is it going in the opposite direction? that we thought it was going to go before the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just it's come down really far, really fast, just like the market has gone up really far, really fast in the last little bit. I think it's just market fluctuations. You can't have everything be perfectly one-sided where interest rates go in a perfectly straight line from eight and a half on a mortgage at the very height to four. It's just not going to be that smooth. As things do that, there's some consolidation that has to happen on the chart. So it comes back up a little bit and then goes for its next leg down. I think that's where we're at. I just think people are very impatient waiting for the rate cuts because they know what it'll do to the market if they cut rates and really start to to go down on interest rates that will make, you know, business easier to do, that'll make, you know, mortgages easier to get, financing for businesses easier to get, which will just drive things in the economy higher, but that's really the underlying problem with doing it is if you do that, you risk bringing inflation back. Because mm-hmm. it's it's creating all the same problems that got us here in this in the first place. So I would say if I had to guess right now, I think the Fed probably does not cut in March, and they probably do cut in May. It's very much in the air right now. I think what's really interesting though is how resilient the market has been thus far to the idea that the market has already priced in all this cuts and it may not happen. I mean, if you would have told me that the reaction would have been as muted as it was, I would not have believed you. Um, But it shows you how badly this market wants to go up. It shows you how many people are still on the sidelines. You can't sell if you're not in. It really just shows that that everybody's way off sides here. Any, Any news station you turn on, CNN, Fox, CNBC, wherever you get your financial news, everybody's ultra negative. Everybody's... You know, it's going down and the economy is going down and everything's bad. If you think everything's bad, that means you've already sold, which means Mm -hmm. all that's left is people buying, people funding their 401ks, and it drives the market higher. Uh, And it's one of those hated rallies where very few people are really participating to the extent they should be. 
So it just goes to show that really, if everybody's leaning off one side of the boat, that's not where you want to be. You want to be on the other side. Yeah, and when you talk about negative headlines, Jake, on Friday, the number of losers was twice the number of winners in the S&P 500. That last happened in 1987, the day after Black Monday. That was a headline that I saw. That is a rather negative comment. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think it shows, again, a little bit what I was just talking about, where last year, 90% of the gains were driven by seven companies known as the Magnificent Seven. All the big tech companies, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and so on. Those stocks were up huge. A lot of them were up you know, over 100% or up 60% or whatever. People are either expecting those to come down or for the rest of stocks to catch up. But again, the problem comes in. It becomes a an unself-fulfilling prophecy, if you will, meaning if everybody's expecting that to happen, it pretty much precludes it from happening. <laughs> everybody's been calling for the Magnificent Seven stocks to have a correction, and all they've done is run straight up all year. And so we'll see what happens. Innovation is always going to drive markets. The tech stocks are always going to be out in front. They will have periods of recess, and they will be also the first ones to go down in recessions and things like that. But ultimately, if, if we zoom the chart out past a couple of weeks, it's going to be very obvious that tech and discretionary spending drives markets. And so you always need to have some of that stuff in your portfolio to make sure that you don't get left behind inflation and all that kind of thing. But we don't want to have so much of that stuff that we're getting killed every time the market has some volatility. So I really think that the more people say that those stocks have to come down, the less likely it is that they do come down and and the more likely it is that they continue to run. Uh, NVIDIA really is one that that a lot of people have been commenting on. They're like, you know, it's up, depending on where you measure from, close to 500%. People are like, man, that has has to stop, doesn't it? Well, it depends. I mean, there's a reason that stock is up and it's because they're smashing all their numbers and all their earnings and they're just printing money with these AI chips that they're selling. As long as there's a reason for that, that doesn't mean it necessarily has to come down. We're talking with Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group here in Springfield. We're talking about current market conditions and certainly what is going on in so far as the economy goes. You've been talking about tech a little bit and you mentioned AI and that's something that I think a lot of people are jumping on simply because it has the two letters AI in it. They're buying anything that is AI. I don't know if that is a good idea because I don't think that everything artificial intelligence is going to be there at the end of the race. Well, artificial intelligence, like everything else, will eventually become a race to the bottom, meaning all the profit will get sucked out of it, and it'll really be the people who are actually changing industries or making AI possible that will be the ones left standing at the end, in my opinion. All that said, though, there's literal hundreds of billions, maybe even trillions of dollars if it was all you know able to be seen flowing into artificial intelligence and machine learning right now. Again, anybody listening to this, please understand that I think artificial intelligence should scare you. It does scare me. It but does that's me not going to stop all these Fortune 500 companies from dumping huge amounts of money into it. We want to cautiously use that to our advantage. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a different world 10 years from now. And I'm reading as well, uh, Jake, that it says the tech industry has laid off around 32,000 more workers this year. Latest Snap trimming its payroll, and that is in addition to Amazon and Google. Should we be concerned about the number of layoffs that we're seeing here in the beginning of 2024, not only in the tech sector, but all over the place? I think when we really start seeing it in blue-collar places, manufacturing, I think that's when it becomes more concerning. These tech companies just hire and hire when things are good, especially in the environment where people were really hard to find. They were just, they were worried they wouldn't be able to find the people later. So they just started hiring them and hiring them and they way overhired. So all they're doing is, is trimming back down to the people they actually need. So in the tech space, I'm not worried about it. In fact, it's a good thing because um, it's going to make them much more profitable looking forward. If we start seeing a lot of layoffs at other companies that are heavy into manufacturing or producing goods, that will be more concerning. And we really haven't, we've seen that a little bit, but we haven't seen that to the extent that it'll make it a problem yet. And finally, I want to talk about the fact that the Dow seems to be making some changes in February. Some companies are in, some companies are out. How often does this happen? Like, is it every four years or so, something like that? 
I think it's been about four years since the last time they did it. There's the potential for it to happen, I believe, every year. But, you know, the Dow doesn't make changes very often. In fact, there's, you know, some of the companies that you know that are still in there have been in there for decades and decades. They do make changes, but they don't make them very often. It will have some implications as if you have funds that follow the Dow and they change what's in the Dow, then those funds have to sell and buy certain stocks. And so there's billions and billions of dollars in funds that track the Dow, and that will affect stock prices to some extent. It's not nearly as big a deal as if it's the S&P or the NASDAQ, but it will matter some. I think it'll be interesting to see what what the result of that is and you know just how many get replaced and that kind of thing. Well, it says here the last time the Dow made a change was August of 2020 when Salesforce, Amgen, and Honeywell were added in ExxonMobil Corp. Pfizer and RTX Corporation, the former Raytheon, were kicked out. So I think a lot of people don't know that the Dow Jones uh, certainly does change its members probably about once every four years. Whether or not that is of concern to you remains to be seen. We're talking here with Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. We've been talking about markets and current events. If this conversation spurs your interest in sitting down and talking with Jake or Randy there at Floyd Financial Group, you've got questions. Will Randy and Jake have answers? I want you to request your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review right now by calling 417-889-7233. Once again, that number, 417-889-7233. Just a friendly conversation. It's a chance for you to sit down with Randy and Jake there at Floyd Financial Group. Ask your questions. Get the answers that you need about your specifically tailored financial plan for you that's going to get you where you want to be in retirement. Once again, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots here that, when addressed, may be able to improve your quality of life and your retirement that could last as long as 30 years. If there's a problem with your retirement plan, when would you like to know about it? Now or when it's too late to do something about it? So pick up that phone right now this weekend and call 417-889-7233. Leave your name, your telephone number. Ashley will give you a call back here in the next business day or two and set up that conversation for you. It's a no-tie zone. Once again, just a friendly conversation with you and Jake and or Randy to get your questions answered. Once again, no cost, no obligation, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, Jake. When we come back, we'll be talking about how much you need to have saved for retirement. All that and more when our show continues right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for another helping of some more real money talk? Thought so. Now, here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shea. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about one of the most common questions that I get asked, which is, how much money do I need to have saved to retire? And Jake, I, along with a lot of people, see these headlines all the time that say a million dollars is enough to retire, and other headlines will say a million dollars is not enough to retire. What are you seeing out there? That seems to be kind of a blanket statement. It's a very blanket statement that does not have a blanket answer. That number is all over the place for people, and we'll talk about that as we go through here. But I find that most people underestimate how much they might need. They think that, you know, if I have a million dollars, I ought to be able to pull 200000 a year off of it kind of a thing, and that's definitely not the case. I do have people, especially in this area, conservative people tend to overestimate, and sometimes they'll have you know, more money than they need. And they'll come in and say, Hey, you know, I don't know if I have enough to retire. You know, maybe I can retire at 65 and they're 60 now. And I'd be like, you know, I don't know why you would work it till after 62. If you don't have to, based on their situation, they're like, wow, that sounds great. So, you know, it's, it is really all over the place, Jeff. And Jake, I think the problem here is that many financial advisors and these people who write these articles use these blanket statements, which as you said, you really can't do that because everybody is an individual. I mean, I've known people who have $3 million, and to them, they can't afford to retire based on their lifestyle. However, I've known people who have $500,000, $300,000, and they can afford to retire. I mean, a million dollars in IRA, that's a lot different than a million dollars in a Roth. So basically, how do you decide when someone comes to you and let's say they say, listen, I've saved $300,000 and I need this to last. How do you decide how much money that someone needs to retire successfully? And if they don't have enough, what do we do about that? Yeah. So I think that for most people, the answer to whether or not you can retire is really more a function of who you are and your lifestyle even than it is how much you have saved. I mean, yes, that part matters, but it's really more about, you know, what you want to do in retirement 
that will determine whether we need more or less than you're making now. And then we'll kind of go through all those other factors. So let's say that, you know, in retirement, what you want to do really is just relax. You don't want to go travel the world. You may go fishing sometimes, but you really enjoy getting up in the morning, sitting on the back porch and drinking coffee. That's just kind of what you want to do. You've worked hard your whole life and you just want to relax. That obviously costs a lot less money to do than traveling all over the world. And so understanding each person and what makes them tick and what they want to do, how they want retirement to go is the first step. Another another important step that most people are not considering is what do you want to have happen with your stuff when you're gone? How important is it to you to leave a bunch of money to your kids? Do you even have kids? If you don't have kids, then obviously that's not an issue. But you know, do you want to save a bunch of money and spend less to make sure you give as much money to your beneficiaries as possible? Or do you want that last check to bounce, as, as my dad likes to say? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, or do you want to be somewhere in between? So that's kind of another really important factor is, you know, do we need to make sure the money still grows even as we're using it for retirement? Or is it okay if we do what we call a controlled spend down where we're going to spend a little more than maybe we should if we want the money to last, knowing it's going to come down, but giving you more income earlier, that kind of thing. That's where we start. And then once we have the answers to those two questions, then we can actually put the pencil to the paper and go back and say, okay, here's how much you're making now. If we need to just make it feel like it does now for you in income, but you're not funding your 401k, you're not paying social security tax, you're not paying Medicare, Medicaid, FICA, all that stuff. What does that mean? So a lot of times what we'll do is we'll go through and look at your net paycheck and then we'll add back in what health insurance is going to cost based on where you're at in the, the age scheme of things. Meaning if you're before 65, you know, if you have to go on Obamacare or whatever for a little bit, what does that look like? Or if you're over 65, how much is Medicare going to cost with supplement versus your current plan? And so we add that cost back in. That's usually a pretty good starting place because most people don't have a defined budget. And if you don't have a defined budget, that's okay. You're with 97% of the population. But it is important to understand what you're spending, how you're spending it, how much you really need in retirement so that we can then focus on hitting it. The actual math of how to get you to that point is pretty easy. We simply factor in Social Security, factor in pension if you have it, and then simply work the math backwards to determine how many dollars you need to have over there to generate the rest of the gap in income. But really understanding who you are and and what you want to do in retirement is probably where we spend the most time in the first meeting understanding. So, Jake, let's say that right now I've decided that I spend uh, $50,000 a year. That's what my budget is. That's what I spend right now while I'm working. I've got $300,000, $350,000, and I want to retire. Is that going to be enough to retire if I still need to make $50,000 a year? Now, keep in mind, we've got Social Security, maybe a couple of thousand dollars a month. Most people don't have pensions. I mean, for somebody who says, listen, Jake, I need $50,000 a year to retire. Is $300,000 going to be enough, and how long will that last? So if you are comfortable living on $50,000 a year, which... A lot of people around here are because if you have your house paid for and you don't have a big car payment, that still maybe leaves you $2,000 a month disposable income. Most people will never have $2,000 a month disposable income. Yeah, if you need $50,000 a year, let's say your Social Security is, you know, $2,500, your spouse's is $1,000, you're 65 and 62 years old, you got $300,000, you're going to pretty much be home there because you'll be able to withdraw enough money off that $300,000 to get you to the $50,000 gross. Again, these are generalizations, so please don't take this as individual advice, anybody that's listening to this. And I know people won't, but I, I still need to just say that. But yeah, for the most part, a couple in that situation uh, are probably in pretty good shape and would be able to retire, barring anything that we're not saying here. There's not some circumstance we're missing. But yeah, that is basically, Jeff, how we go about looking at it as we say, okay, we got to determine how much we need. Then we look at the assets and we say, hey, are we there yet? Are we not there yet? We do also have to take Social Security a little bit with a grain of salt. You know, I don't think Social Security is going away, but Social Security will definitely get reworked in the next seven to eight years or sooner. Right. And so we need to make sure we're not totally crazy dependent on Social Security because if that's the only thing we have, we may find ourselves wanting a little bit down the road as Congress takes the axe to it. For those people who are currently getting Social Security or those people who have just started Social Security, do you really think there's going to be any significant changes happening to us? 
So again, this is total speculation, but at the same time, knowing how the government operates, I would say that if you have Social Security and only Social Security, and you don't have a whole lot saved up, but you're able to make it on 2000 a month Social Security, I think it's very likely that those benefits will not be cut. I think it's people that have a good amount of money outside or a good amount of income outside of Social Security that may end up getting a cut to Social Security. Social Security is definitely not going to go away, but they may set up a means-tested cut that says, hey, you know, if you have 100000 or more in income or you've got 500000 or more in assets, we're going to cut your Social Security benefit by 10% or 20% or whatever. Again, that's not even on the table right now. I'm just saying at some point, the math is broken here. We know that Social Security is going to, quote unquote, go broke in 2033. That does not mean the benefits stop paying. It just means that the pool of money is gone. And so they're, they're, they're going to have to rework it. I think the most the easiest answer is to make people like me have to be 75 or 80 to take Social Security. Yeah, That fixes it the easiest where I just fund it and I never take anything out and that replenishes what everybody else is taking. Is that fair? No, but that's the world we live in. I do think that that's the easiest thing for them to do, but they, they may have to actually go in and cut certain people's Social Security. Does Elon Musk need Social Security? Probably not. Should he be entitled to it because he paid into it? In my opinion, yes. Mm -hmm. But... You know, he's not depending on that Social Security check. And so I think it's likely they will take people who don't necessarily need it away first. Uh, another way that they may go about fixing it is they may raise the maximum income that they can tax for Social Security. And so right now that number, I think, is 170000 180000 If you make more than that, you don't pay any more Social Security tax. So obviously, if they raise that to unlimited or raise it to a million dollars or whatever, that would be a very easy way for them to accrue more money into the system. But again, to your point, Jeff, I don't think Social Security is going away. People don't need to panic about that. But we do need to make sure that we have a little flexibility built in there just in case they alter the way it works. We're talking about how much you need to retire with Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. We've determined that uh, we can't use any blanket statements. Everyone is an individual, so you're going to need different amounts of money. It occurs to me, Jake, that we talked about spending $50,000 a year in retirement. How do taxes play into this conversation? I mean, when you retire, are your taxes necessarily going to be going down, up? How does that work? You know, again, that varies a lot depending on the person, but most people will have more than $50,000 a year in retirement income. Some people will have less. Obviously, the tax bracket situation right now is kind of a unique one, meaning the tax bracket goes from 10 to 12, and then it jumps to 22%. So there's a lot of people that are in the 22% bracket while they're working that will be reduced back to the 12% bracket when they stop working. And so that's very common. I see that all the time. So it's likely that you'll be paying less in taxes in retirement, but it doesn't mean you're going to not pay any taxes. Social Security is taxed. Uh, a lot of people are like, wait, what? Social Security is taxed? It yes, is. They, they taxed it, and then they tax you again. And then when you buy stuff, they tax you again. And then if you keep that stuff long enough and it has a title, then they tax you every year on that. Mm -hmm. So welcome to America, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah. um, it, is that a bunch of crap? Yes, it is. But that is how it works. So there will be taxation in retirement. Taxes are not going away. But I would say on average, if I were going to guess, people get a 30 or 40% tax cut a fair amount when they get to retirement simply because they don't need as much income when they're not funding 20% to their 401k and they're not paying an astronomical amount for health insurance and they're not paying 10% social security tax, all that kind of thing. Yeah. And keep in mind, if you're going to be retiring, let's say in two years, you're paying a certain amount of tax. Now that could change in two years with the sunset of the Trump uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. As you said, the standard deduction is going to go down. Tax brackets could go up again. And that is going to maybe throw a monkey wrench into the amount of taxes that you have to pay. We're talking about how much you need to have saved to retire with Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. And I think we've determined, Jake, that it, it just depends. I mean, I think that's probably the most common answer that we can give everybody is it depends. Come and sit down and talk with me. We'll tell you whether or not you can retire on $300,000. Have you seen people who can retire on two fifty and people who can't retire on a million bucks? You know, there's people that can't retire on 250000 a year. You know, they, right. they just can't make that work. It's a lifestyle thing. The vast majority of people that I see, though, in retirement probably have between fifty dollars and $150,000 a year in retirement. Wow. And you um, can you can help you know, those people retire. That's interesting. 
Well, a, a year in retirement, not total saved. So okay. you know, total total saved is probably more between four hundred and okay. and eight hundred thousand. I would say most people are in that bracket. And and yeah, it's very doable on that, assuming we have some social security income and or you know, some people do have pensions. I mean, I have people that can retire on zero in savings because they have a gigantic pension and social security. Uh, come in and see us. This is probably the number one thing we spend time doing is, you know, can you retire? What's it going to feel like in retirement? Here's what you can expect in retirement. That's what we're here for. And that's why we have a complimentary review so you can come and get your questions answered. That is right. And again, we're going to tell you how you can get that complimentary review. But I, I do want to really emphasize to the listeners that no two plans are alike. They're all individual. If you want to talk to an investment advisor who wants to sell you just a standardized stock bond portfolio, I think any investment advisor would be happy to sell you that. You want all your eggs in an annuity basket. Anyone with an insurance license would be happy to sell you that. But if you want to go beyond the product, the sales pitch and focus on the lifestyle first and the life that you want to live, you want to have a conversation with an advisor who will look at your unique needs and desires through a comprehensive lens. You want to call the Floyds there at Floyd Financial Group to get your personalized plan. Once again, there is no cost. There is no obligation for this whatsoever. It's just a friendly conversation between you and Jake and or Randy to put you on a path towards a successful retirement. Now that number to call, 417-889-7233 to get your complimentary review. 417-889-7233. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that when addressed could improve your quality of life and retirement that could last 30 years or more. So what are you waiting for? Make that call this weekend, 417-889-7233. No cost, no obligation whatsoever. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. By the way, if you're just joining us, this is Show Me the Money with Jake Floyd. My name is Jeff Shade, and if you want to hear the show again, don't worry. We're also a podcast, or if you've missed any part of the show, simply go to wherever you get your podcast search for Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd. You'll find this show and many of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your journey towards retirement. Time for a break, Jake. When we come back, we'll be debunking six Social Security myths and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. We're back with your financial catch of the day, and it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shane. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be debunking six myths about Social Security. And Jake, this is one of those things that I think most people have an opinion on. They may not know a lot about it, but everybody has an opinion about what's happening with Social Security. So we touched on this a little bit in the last segment. By the way, if you're just joining us and you missed that last segment, we did talk about Social Security very briefly here. But again, I want to reiterate that myth number one is that Social Security benefits will not be there when I retire. So I need to take that social security at age 62. I was talking to my sister yesterday. Her and my brother both took it at 62 because they said, well, it's not going to be there. What do you think about thinking that it's not going to be there and taking it at 62? You're probably going to be losing out on some benefits. Whether or not to take social security at 62 really depends on a lot of factors, but one of those factors is not whether or not it's going to be there. Social Security will be there. It may not be called Social Security at some point. They may rework it into some other program, but Social Security is not going to just stop one day. That's not something I would be worried about if I'm entering retirement. Again, like we talked about last segment, it's possible there could be a cut, a small cut to it, depending on your situation. But I don't think that it's just going to stop and go away. The vast majority of the public depends on it if they're retired, and they can't just put those people out in the street. So I do think it's going to be here. I would not stress too much about it just going away. Yeah, and I think any politician who comes on and says, look, I'm going to have to cut Social Security benefits for all of you out there that are on Social Security, I would say that there's probably a very good chance, close to 100%, that that person will not be elected to whatever office that they're seeking. So consider that. It's actually kind of funny, Jeff, because the only person that's really high profile file that has called for a cut to Social Security is Chris Christie. And Chris Christie is probably the most unpopular politician out there. In fact, it was like 78% of people in New Jersey just hate Chris Christie. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit more about taking it at 62 full retirement age and age 70. What are some of the reasons that you would want to take it at age 62? Yeah, so if you retire and you're planning to stay retired, it could make sense to turn on Social Security at 62. 
The issue you get into is if we take it early and you continue to work or go back to work, we're limited on how much money you can make. Because if you make more than about $21,000 a year, you have to start paying back into Social Security if you're taking it. And so as long as you're totally retired and plan to stay that way, it can make sense to go ahead and turn it on. But if you're still working or think about maybe going back to work, there's other factors we want to consider before we start turning it on. So, Jake, is it a myth or is it fact that if you take it at 62, you're probably reducing your benefits by 30 percent? I've heard that figure before. So that's probably pretty close, but that doesn't tell the whole story. Because if you don't take it from 62 to 67, you'll have to live to your 78 just to break even. And that's assuming that you don't earn any money on that extra five years of payments that you had there from 62 to 67. It's not quite that simple. A lot of people try to oversimplify it. There's a lot of factors that go into whether or not you should file. But generally speaking, it really has to do with are you retired and are you planning to stay retired is probably the biggest thing that weighs into whether or not it makes sense to turn it on at 62, 63, 64, or just before your full retirement age. And for most people listening to us, their full retirement age will be somewhere between 66 and a half and age 67. Full retirement age, you can take it, you can make as much as you want, but you really get the most at age 70. So why would somebody or what would be the circumstance that would have to happen for it to make sense? for somebody to wait until age 70 to take Social Security? You know, Jeff, I would have a hard time coming up with that one. Uh, The reason for that is, let's say you're still working even at age 70. Um, It probably, in a lot of cases, would still make sense to turn on Social Security at age 67 because you get those payments, you invest those payments, you get interest on those payments, and you have that three years, extra years of payments to invest There are a few situations where it might make sense to wait till 70. So let's say that uh, you don't have a whole lot of money saved and you have a spouse and you're trying to maximize your Social Security benefits so that if something happens to you, it's a little bit like life insurance where it's going to pay extra to your spouse uh, in the event you're no longer here. That could be a reason. I mean, there are reasons, but it's it's pretty few and far between waiting till 70 because the problem is, is if you retire at, let's say, 65, and you decide to wait till 70 to take Social Security, you're most likely spending your money right. trying to get and wait till age 70 to take Social Security. So that takes away options. What I'd rather do is milk Social Security and keep as much money in your pocket as possible so that you have the most options as you're going through retirement. Again, it's not as easy as mathematically this is what makes sense because none of us know how long we're going to be here. You know, If you could tell me the day you're going to die to the day, I can tell you what makes the most sense, but nobody can do that, so there's no point in trying to analyze it based off of your quote-unquote life expectancy, that kind of thing. Everybody's so different. Everybody wants different things. So it's a little bit more of a complicated discussion, but it's not solely based on the math. There's other factors that come in. We're debunking six Social Security myths with Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Myth number one, Social Security benefits will not be here when I retire. The consensus is that they will be here. They just may be a little bit different. Myth number two, Social Security will be a major source of income in retirement, if not my entire income. That is a real big myth, I would say. Yeah, so I would say on average... Social Security accounts for maybe 40% of a client's uh, a client's income. I do have clients where it's much more than that. I have clients where it's much less than that. I would say, though, on average, it's probably about 40%. So, I mean, it matters for sure, but it's not the only thing that matters. Again, though, I find most people worried about that myth are more worried about myth number one, which is they don't want it yeah. to go away. Um, again, I don't think it's going to go away. It may morph into something else, but Congress has done some dumb things for sure. And they'll continue to do some dumb things, but ultimately they like getting votes and cutting retirees' pay that they paid into all their life is not a very good way to do that. So Social Security will be a major source of retirement income. As you said, it's about 40%. What makes up the other 60% typically among the clients that you see? Yeah, so either either a pension uh, or just investment income, whether it's coming from stocks, bonds, you know, an annuity or something like that. But typically, you know, we don't see that many pensions anymore. I'd say maybe 20% of my clients have pensions. And so most of the time it's Social Security and investment income. Okay, myth number three, Social Security benefits don't keep up with inflation. That's a myth. While I, I wouldn't say they perfectly keep up with inflation, they obviously adjust for the consumer price index every year. 
A couple of years ago, we had almost a 9% increase based off of the consumer price index. And then we had, I think it was around 6%. And then this last year, we had like 3.4%. Right. And so, you know, it definitely goes up with inflation. You know, does it perfectly keep in pace with inflation? Probably not. But it's certainly better than it never changing. You know, most people, when they file for Social Security at 62 by the time they're gone, they're going to have half again as much or maybe even double what they started with because of those inflation protection. And that Kohler or cost of living adjustment was like 14% in 1980, but it wasn't anything in 2009, 10 and 15. So it tries to keep up with inflation and most of the time it does, but it doesn't always. Myth number four, you can outlive Social Security. And I think I know the answer to this one, Jake. To my knowledge, nobody has ever outlived Social Security. This myth kind of goes back to myth number one again, I think, where it's people worried about whether or not it's going to be there, not so much. I think most people know that it will not actually run out. I have an aunt who's 106 years old. I've talked about that on the show, and she still gets Social Security. So in her case, she can't outlive Social Security. I'm going to really throw this one in here a little bit. We didn't talk about this, but is it a myth that everyone gets Social Security? So yes, Jeff, that is that is also a myth. If you've never had a job or never paid in, or if you have a large government pension and the windfall elimination provision comes into play, uh, you can get zero dollars and zero cents from Social Security. But the vast majority of people will get it, but there are a few that won't. Okay, and myth number five, we've kind of covered this here a little bit. I should wait as long as possible to claim my Social Security benefits. Some people say, well, I'm not going to take Social Security till I'm like 72, 73, 74. But if you do that, really, you've just given up a lot of benefits because you don't get any more after the age of 70, right? Yeah, and again, I think for me, when it comes to waiting as long as possible, I really think that the the main factor in when to file Social Security is when you're actually retired. If you're 62 and you're still working, it makes no sense to turn it on because you're just going to have to pay it back. Once you get to 67 and you're still working, you know it might make sense to turn it on. That's a there's several factors that go in there. But if you retire at 64. It probably makes sense to go ahead and turn it on there, assuming you're planning to stay retired because it'll reduce the strain on the rest of your portfolio by taking that income now and giving you the most benefits long term. Again, none of this can be taken as a generalization, but for the most part, those are the things that we're looking at when determining when to take Social Security. And we're talking about six popular myths about Social Security with Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. Myth number six, Jake, is Social Security income isn't subject to taxes. So this is what I hear a lot. You're like, again, people say, man, I have to pay taxes on it again? Yeah. Yes, you do. There was a really funny video out there that kind of went on that. Be like, so get, let me get this straight. I make money. I have to pay taxes. Then I get my Social Security. After I've ta- been taxed on that, I get to pay taxes on it again. Then when I buy something, I have to pay taxes on it. And then I pay taxes on it every year that I own it, if it's a car or something like that. Actually, it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it that you're getting taxed on the same money over and over and over and over again. But yes, Social Security is taxable depending on how much money you make. It's either 50% of it's taxable or 85% of it's taxable. You know, most people are probably going to be in the 85% taxable bucket, but there are people that will be less than that. But yes, as much as it is uh, not fair, it is taxable. And again, people heard the numbers 50 and 85. I want to point out that uh, you're not paying 50% tax. You're not paying 85% tax on Social Security. Let's say that you, for the sake of round numbers, that you only got $1,000 in Social Security, possibly $850 of that may be taxed. That's 85% or $500 of that may be taxed. It just depends upon, I guess, your, uh, what is it, modified adjusted gross income? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're definitely not paying 50% in taxes. 50% is tax a bull and let's say you're in the 12 percent bracket so in your example and again this is a very rough calculation but there's a thousand dollars worth of income it's taxable at 50 percent meaning 500 of it's taxable if you're paying 12 percent then that's 60 dollars a month in taxes so it's not like it's a huge tax but it is taxable And Jake, to wrap things up here, this isn't on our list of the six myths that we've debunked, but I do want to throw it in. A lot of financial advisors say, well, we've got this Social Security optimization program that we run everything through, and it's going to give us all the answers that we need. I think primarily they use that as a sales tool. Does that optimization or maximization program really give you all the answers that you need as to when to take Social Security? 
Yeah, so we have access to those softwares, but for the most part, decisions are made about Social Security by other factors that don't go into that calculator. Again, such as your family health history or when you're going to retire. Do you have a large pension outside? What What's your tax bracket? How much do you have saved in retirement? There's a lot of other factors that come in, as well as I think one of the intangibles is I like people to have as much control in their pocket as possible. And so if we delay and take Social Security later, we're, we're putting the control in Social Security's pocket, not in your pocket. Versus if we go ahead and take it and reduce the strain on your portfolio, you will have more money if you're not spending your money as hard, which gives you the most options later on in retirement. So that's usually what we're looking at when it comes to that. Well, Jake, I think based on a conversation, I'm willing to bet that uh, many of our listeners may have some questions for you about when to take Social Security or debunking those myths. If that is you, I invite you to call us, request your complimentary retirement review with Jake or Randy Floyd there at Floyd Financial Group for any conversation that'll uncover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation so that you can proactively create a plan for you to get to reach your goals in retirement. That number to call to get yours today, 417-889-7233. Again, this is not a sales pitch. It's just a friendly, informational conversation between you, Jake, and or Randy. Once again, that number 417-889-7233. It's not going to cost you a dime whatsoever. You can call that number this weekend. Simply leave your name and phone number. Ashley will give you a call back on Monday or Tuesday. She'll set up an appointment for you to sit down and have that complimentary consultation with Jake or Randy. Once again, that telephone number, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, Jake. When we come back with the final portion of our program, we'll be talking about whether or not you've got a strategy to reach your retirement goals and how to create that strategy. All that and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Jake Floyd. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about do you have a strategy or does your financial advisor have a real strategy to get you to your retirement goals? And that's an interesting question, Jake. I've never heard it phrased that way, but I come into you and I say, Jake, I want to retire in this time frame and I've got this much money. And, you know, they talk about a lot of things, but a strategy usually something that comes up right at the beginning of the conversation. Yeah, for the most part, people have never really thought about their retirement in terms of a strategy. Most people view it, hey, I just put money in the market and it grows. When we sit down with people, we really need an overall retirement plan. But aside from that, I have to have a retirement strategy, an investment strategy on how I'm going to come through on all these different things that we've set up for clients. And so inside your investment portfolio, does your advisor, or if you're doing it yourself, what is your plan to deal with inflation? What is your plan to deal with market volatility? It feels good to have a lot of big gains when the market goes up, but when things go against you, it can get pretty scary pretty fast in a COVID situation or something else. So when it comes to strategy, what is your strategy? How do you develop that strategy? So, Jake, having a strategy is one thing, but I think also defining where you want to go. I mean, basically, it's what's your target? I would think that that is probably the most important question that you need to ask to come up with a strategy. Right. In order to have an effective strategy, I have to know what I'm shooting for. If I don't know where I'm going, how can I possibly come up with a strategy to get there? And so understanding what retirement will require from your investments is part of that. And because we've helped, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people retire, we get to see that over and over and over versus the average individual investor will retire one time, hopefully, if they do it right. We know a lot of the pitfalls. We know a lot of things to look for. We know a lot of questions to ask that the average person doesn't. And so 
We need to make sure we're putting more thought into things. We need to have the track to run on. We say, okay, hey, I need $100,000 a year in retirement. I'm going to have 40000 a year coming from Social Security. How do I get that extra $60,000 and to you know, work the math backwards to where I need to be? Once I have that target, then I can go about starting to develop an effective strategy. Okay, so you're sort of reverse engineering this retirement journey. And Jake, I like to use analogies. I know the Super Bowl is uh, coming up tomorrow. And these teams, the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs in the beginning of the year, they probably had the target, of course, of winning the Super Bowl. But along the way, they had strategies to get through that schedule to beat those teams that it took to uh, get to the Super Bowl. But as we know, maybe injuries and things can throw off a plan. You know, something else can happen that can derail their strategy. Is it the same way with a retirement plan in terms of accounting for things that may go wrong? 100%, Jeff. So we need to have, as we're approaching retirement, a certain amount of money that's safe money, meaning it can't go down. It's We're not going to lose it due to market volatility. How much really depends on the individual and the target. And as we're going through the strategy, risk tolerance, things like that. But everybody needs some some degree of safety to make sure that they don't lose what they've worked so hard to get. And the closer you get to retirement, the more important that can be. And so do you understand in your portfolio or your statement that you get from your financial advisor, do you clearly understand, okay, this is my safe money, this is my risk money, or does it all kind of just seem to blur together? You know, when you go sit down with your financial advisor, does he explain to you, okay, Here's the money that's going to work hard for us and really earn us the money. And then here's the money that's safe, that's going to you know be there no matter what happens and help us to weather financial storms. Or is it just kind of Greek whenever you go in there and it just you don't really understand? He doesn't really explain it. It's important to understand what you're doing and where you're going, or at least understand that your advisor does and that he's paying attention. And Jake, we've talked before about the five things that your money can do for you. It can give you cash flow, security, growth, liquidity, and tax savings. No investment can do all five of those, but many investments can maybe do one or two, or some investments can be three of those. So let's talk about how old you are in terms of your strategy. Let's say that I come to you and Jake, I'm 65 years old and I want to retire next year. I've only got a year. Is that strategy going to be totally different than someone who comes to you and says, Jake, I'm 55 years old. I want to retire at 62. Yeah. So that their strategy will be in a different phase. I wouldn't say it's a different strategy, but you'll be further along in the strategy. So once we get within five years of retirement, we really need to be careful not to suffer a big loss because we're in that, what we call the retirement red zone. You know, you're right toward the end of that. And we need to not take a 20 or 30% loss going into that. If you're 10 years from retirement or seven years from retirement, you have time to recover that. And if you're comfortable with the risk tolerance there, it can be appropriate to be more aggressive seven years out. But once you get one year out, you definitely need to be ready to shift phases from accumulating to distributing your money. And that can be a hard thing to do if it's not something that you do every day. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that we do here as we're developing plans for people. Now, Jake, let's say that uh, I've come to you and I've got $300,000 and I say, Jake, I need to have uh, $3,500 a month in uh, you know, cash flow off of that particular amount of money that's going to get me to retirement. Sometimes you really kind of have to reel people in as far as their targets go. I mean, is that a common thing where sometimes uh, people's targets or goals are maybe a little optimistic? Um, I, I don't know if that's common, but it definitely happens. One other thing to think about there is let's say you need 3500 a month and you got 300000 if you're 10 or 12 years from retirement, that could be totally fine, right? Because we can grow the money between now and then. You can save a little bit more and you may be home. If you're retiring tomorrow and you need 3500 and you got 300000 that's a big problem. That's why it's important to come in a little sooner rather than later is so that we can have time to really chew on it and go, okay, here's where we're at. Here's here where we need to be. And then here's the track we're going to run on to get us there with a very high degree of certainty. Again, nothing is 100%. There's no such thing as a 0% chance of failure, 100% chance of success. But we certainly want it to round up to 100%, right? We want to have a 99 plus percent chance that everything's going to go according to plan and that you're not going to run out of money and that kind of thing. We're talking about whether or not you have a strategy to reach your retirement goals with Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Jake, what would be the optimal time frame for someone to come to you before they retire? I mean, in terms of the lead time that people would need. 
Yeah, so it varies a little bit, Jeff, but uh, I would say that, you know, if you have older investment accounts, old 401ks, things like that, it could make sense to come in sooner rather than later, maybe even as much as 10 years before retirement, if you need help investing that money in a way that it's going to grow for you and work for you once you get to retirement. If you just have your current employer 401k, it's probably not necessary to come in quite that early, but maybe more like five years before would be more optimal. Although I have people all the time come in and they said, you know, I retired yesterday and I need to do something with my money. That's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're a planner and you like things to go the way you plan them out to be, coming in a few years before retirement is a good idea because you'll know what to expect. And if there's something we need to shift a little bit, we still have a little time to shift it before you go straight into retirement mode. And Jake, I think a lot of people listening to the program today are thinking to themselves, this is a great program. It's very educational. It's very informative. But I do not have enough money to deal with Floyd Financial Group because you always hear these minimums on some of the other shows. You need at least $500,000 of investable assets outside of your house to qualify. Is that the case at Floyd Financial Group? No. As my great-grandma Maggard used to say, we, we put our pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. Um, you know, I'm here to help people and bring value. It's not my goal to get mega wealthy doing this. It's my goal to help people. And if we take care of people, we'll get taken care of. And for the most part, that's that's how it works out here. We don't need to have, you know, a huge amount of money to come in here. We just, we just want to help people out. Uh, when it comes to this whole, you know, having a strategy thing, what you want to make sure is that you're not just hoping it's all going to work out. Because probably 90% of the people out there right now, they have money in an investment account and they're just hoping that things are going to work out for them. And you can have a lot more stability and a higher probability of success if you come in and you say, hey, here's what I want to accomplish. What kind of strategy should we employ to get there? Yeah, and hope is not a plan. Hope is not a strategy to get you through retirement. And I think if you do not seek the help of a professional who's done this many, many times, you're relying on hope. So let me talk to our listeners here. If you don't want to hope that your retirement plan is going to work out for you, if you don't want to hope that you're going to be able to have a long and successful retirement, if you don't want to hope that you can meet your expenses, if you want to have a little more certainty. Now, we can't guarantee anything, but if you'd like to stack the odds in your favor a little bit and find out what you can and can't do realistically, I invite you to give us a call here at Floyd Financial Group and request your no-cost, no-obligation Floyd Financial Group review. You can get yours by calling 417-889-7233. Again, that number, 417-889-7233. Go ahead and give it a call this weekend if you'd like, and leave your information. Ashley will give you a call back next week, set you up with a conversation with Randy and Jake. And again, it's a friendly conversation. It is a no-tie zone, sort of a community service to get your questions answered. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could make all the difference. That call, that is 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Jake, out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, certainly I want to thank the fine people here of Springfield, Missouri for joining us. For Jake Floyd, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources, however, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri.